You've heard nonstop about quarterbacks, and there's no shortage of attention for running backs, tight ends, or receivers. But what about the position that makes up almost half the offense? It's time we shift the spotlight to the group that makes the O Show go. It's time to talk offensive line. I'm Nick Kelly, and this is Knowledgeable Receivers. Welcome to episode three of Ineligible Receivers, a podcast where we talk all things offensive line each and every show. It is mid-September. It is starting to feel more and more like fall. Football is back. The NFL is back and in full swing. And college football slowly but surely continues to ramp up each and every week. We saw a few teams start the last few weeks, and some more teams will be starting their seasons soon. Now, the Oklahoma Sooners are one team that started last weekend. And I bring up the Sooners because this week's guest is a former Sooner. Bronson Irwin played offensive line for Oklahoma from 2010 to 2013. He was primarily a guard when he was a constant in the starting lineup his last two years at OU, but he played one game at right tackle when OU defeated Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. We talked plenty about that in this week's episode, as well as some of the challenges facing that Bama defense filled with future NFL talents such as linebacker C.J. Mosley. And speaking of the NFL, Irwin had a brief stint there with some time on the Seahawks and Texans rosters in 2014. And he actually, and he talks about this in the episode, he actually had kind of this post-practice ritual during training camp with J.J. Watt that was pretty fascinating, interesting to hear about. I learned a lot about O-line play overall just in this episode, and I really hope you will too, and I think you probably will. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Bronson Irwin. I'm now joined by Bronson Irwin, who is a former OU offensive lineman. Bronson, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, to chat with you a little bit about the offensive line. Yeah, so tell me, how did you become an offensive lineman? Well, for me, I never really had a choice. Um, <laughs> thinking back to Little League, here in Oklahoma, they have weight restrictions. So if you're over a certain weight for each uh, age group, you basically, they put a sticker on the front of your helmet, on the front and the back. It's called a striper sticker. Uh, so I never didn't have one of those stickers on my helmet. So I never really had a choice. I'm a, I'm a career offensive lineman, lifetime offensive lineman, I guess. Um, so for me, it was, it's kind of all I've ever done, to be honest with you. Yeah, so it's one thing to be kind of put into that position. But when did you fall kind of in love with what you do as an old lineman? I would say probably probably at freshman or sophomore year of high school. Uh, you know, it's not the most exciting position to play. It's certainly not a position that gets the accolades that you see with guys that get to catch touchdowns and run touchdowns and make big sacks and interceptions. Uh, but I think that there's a certain type of person that takes pride in, in kind of being behind the scenes, I guess, or underappreciated. Uh, and like I said, I never really had a chance to do anything else just because of my size, but um, for me, it, once you kind of figure out the physical aspect of it, I think it becomes a lot more fun. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, you don't really have that mentality, I guess, of trying to, you know, impose your will on somebody else. So I think as I got a little bit older, uh, you definitely kind of take pride in, and have a lot more fun with the, the phys physical piece of it. And 
as far as friendship and bond between teammates, you probably won't find a closer bond than an offensive line group on, on any team, high school, college, or, or above. So uh, there's definitely a lot of positives to it. Yeah, and, and you had a chance to have a lot of fun with several different O-lines uh, just going from high school to playing at Oklahoma. And when you got to Oklahoma, for you, what was kind of that welcome to college football moment when you really realized that, hey, playing offensive line in high school is very different from college? Sure. For me, I think, so I graduated high school early. So I enrolled in January of 2010. I was set to graduate high school in spring of 2010, uh, graduated early and uh, was there for spring football that year. Uh, that was a big eye-opening experience because that particular year, we didn't have a lot of depth uh, on the offensive line. Uh, sometimes that happens in the spring if you have a big senior class that loses a bunch of guys. Um, you know, and at, at the college level, you're typically running at least two huddles uh, during spring football to get as many reps as possible. So me, my roommate, who was also an early graduate uh, guy uh, from that class uh, from – Heath, Texas, Austin Woods um, ended up being two of the starting guys on the second group uh, for that uh, that spring. And then our center was Gabe Eichard, who was uh, transitioning from tight end to center. So the three of us were kind of figuring it out together and uh, got a lot of reps, more reps than we wanted for sure. Uh, but you, it doesn't take long to figure out the physicality difference going from high school to college is, is probably the biggest gap you see. Um, more so from more so than middle school to high school, more so than college to the NFL. Uh, that gap between high school and college is, is massive because some of those guys you're going against are 22 years old, 23 years old, and you're 18. Uh, you're not quite physically developed. And I remember my first day in the weight room that January was uh, eye-opening, doesn't quite explain it, but it was, I was, I was shocked at some of the things I saw, just how strong these guys that had been in the program for three or four years were compared to me, who was just, you know, used to doing a call or excuse me, a high school uh, workout program. Sure. Well, and as far as when you're a bigger guys and alignment, you might face guys in high school, I'm sure that just, just don't have the size or even the strength to be able to compete with you. And so you can kind of push them around, but how does it change when you get to college or maybe how did you have to change how you approach things when you got to the college level? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is probably just day to day. So, you know, in high school, you're, you're, they put you against the best D lineman you have. Maybe they're, you know, comparable in skill. Maybe they're not. But uh, in college, no matter who's across from you, they were the best player at their high school. Or they were the best player in their state even sometimes. So I think uh, just the across the board level of competition and then on the backside of that, fighting to try to earn a position on the field, you know, you're obviously – um, competing with this, that same caliber of guys. The guy that's in front of you was the best guy at his high school. Uh, the guys that come in behind you as you get older were the best guys. So um, not as big a difference, I would say, between classes in college as there is in high school. You know, a sophomore in high school is 15. But, uh, you know, a sophomore in college is a grown man, just like a senior is. So uh, I think that's kind of the the biggest difference is just everybody's – is was the best guy on their high school team. And now they're just another guy on the team in college. Sure. Well, you talk about tough competition, obviously you had plenty of that at OU, but also in the sugar bowl, when you faced you face an Alabama defense, I think that year that was the number one scoring defense in the country. And, and they had, I think six different guys or five different guys be drafted from that defense in the NFL that year. 
I mean, what, what was that like playing? And you guys won that game. How did you guys find success? And what was that like playing against that defense? You know, we saw it as an opportunity because, like you said, they were the favorite in every poll and every pick you would see. I don't know that anybody picked us. So we didn't really have anything to lose. Uh, so for us, we we felt we had a really good game plan with uh, Josh Heupel, kind of mixed it up uh, going into that game. And we had a new line coach that year. That was his first year, uh, Bill Biedenboe, who's still there. And, you know, now has established himself as one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Uh, so we uh, we just had fun with it, man. We had fun with the trip. The preparation was fun. We had been banged up that year. So we had, you know, guys kind of jumping all over the place. I was in a different position. We had a guy that made his first career start in that game, which is crazy uh, to, to think about. But, uh, you know, the pressure wasn't really there. I mean, you, you, you get used to playing in big games. But uh, something – and, and being at Oklahoma, that's not a situation you're familiar with. There's very few games where you're – first of all, pick to lose, but there's that's the only game I can think of where it's like you guys don't have a chance, which I don't think that is something we ever believed, uh, but the pressure from the media just wasn't there. So we just went out there and had fun, and and uh, the results speak for themselves. I guess we uh, ended up, I think, playing very well and ultimately winning the football game. That was a great game. It's fun to go back and watch a little bit of that film. And there are a couple of plays I want to take you through that – or I want you to take me through, but I want to look back on so maybe we can learn a few things about how you approach as an O-lineman. There's a fourth and one near the 50. I think it was the first half. They ran behind you at right tackle. I mean, when you're in a fourth and one situation, no matter where it is on the field, what is your mindset? Like, what are you looking for? What are you thinking? Just take us, kind of put us in your head in that point. I think if I remember that play, it was like a quick snap where we huddled up and uh, got lined up real fast and tried to see if we could catch them in an advantage uh, formationally. But uh, that's that's kind of the culmination of all your training, right? One guy versus one guy who can get a yard, who can push the other guy just enough to, to get the, the play that makes the difference in the game. And, uh, you know, I think we quick, quick huddled and saw the numbers were in our favor and we just ran the play. I think if I remember right, the TV broadcast is like, oh, they're just going to hard count and see if they can get them to jump and get the first down. And then we snap the football. But, but uh, <clears throat> as an offensive lineman, that's one of those moments where you, you know, that's kind of what you live for. You just want to go out there and, like I said earlier, impose your will on somebody. There's no other – no better opportunity than, you know, a New Year's Bowl where, you know, there's millions of people watching it on TV. And, like I said, you got nothing to lose, so give them your best shot. Yeah, and when you have – because, you know, the box is full at that point, and they, they probably have a sense that you're going to run it, and you guys know you're running it. So what what are you doing – I mean, are you even locking in on a certain guy? Are you just plowing mm-hmm. forward and just seeing who you can hit and move out of the way? Uh, it depends. I mean, obviously, you're you're typically going to want to be in some type of quick hitting play. Nothing that's going to be a, you know, a, a slow backfield action. I think that was just a dive play where we, you know, we all take a zone step. But um, when you do it that many times, I think you can pretty much you can ID stuff really fast. Uh, most teams are going to work off of a numbering system where the center calls out the zero point, and then one, two, three, four to the right, minus one, two, three, four to the left or, you know, to the play side and backside. Uh, so it, it's pretty quick once you've done it, you know, a couple 10, 15,000 times to, I guess, um, identify those points really quickly. But, you know, when you're in a condensed situation like that on a fourth and one or a goal line play, things happen a lot faster. So you don't have time to, you know, necessarily step to a double team or fit up a really good combo. You might have to come off immediately. Uh, so I think just having your eyes up and being prepared for run through linebackers is, uh, is the most important thing. 
Yeah, and speaking of linebackers in the second level, there's another play, I think, and I'm sure you'll remember this one, was the end-around touchdown. Yeah. Uh, that you had to work to the second level. And I think it was C.J. Mosley, who's now a Jets linebacker, that you, you blocked to make that play happen. Take us through in that moment when you, you have to make a pretty athletic play because not only do you have to stop the guy who's immediately in front of you, you got to work to the backer. <clears throat> what are you, what's going through your head at that point? What are you trying to do? Yeah, on that play, we uh... – in our film study, we had seen that they would overflow to stretch. So we basically self-stretch left. Um, and once they over-pursue on stretch, we kind of throw them past. And then we get out uh, the two backside guys and get out on the screen. And um, that's maybe the toughest thing know, for an offensive lineman is blocking downfield when you're, you know, if I'm six foot five, 330 pounds, and that guy's six foot, you know, 215, he's obviously going to be more athletic than I am. Uh, so you really just – the biggest thing, and it's hard to hard to teach this, you know, to younger kids is is just to not hesitate because even if you just make them hesitate, if you make them change their path, that's a win for us. You know, I think that people expect to get downfield and fit up on a safety and drive them. It's just not going to happen, not at that level of football at least. Uh, so I think just being confident and decisive and, and running through the second level, um, again, even if it – to the untrained eye, it doesn't look like you block somebody. Um, if you get them to, to change what they're doing or even change the angle just a little bit, the guys that have the ball are so athletic, that's enough to get the job done. Is there almost like an angle of pursuit that you have to take to just kind of get in their way and, and make yeah, sure that and that's, they can't that's, cross through that, you? That depends on the play. You know, typically downfield, you know, screen looks, you, you have kind of an idea of where the, the runner is going to go or where the path of the receiver is. Uh, so you try to take those aiming points, you know, obviously it doesn't always happen like you think it, think it's going to, but uh, it's definitely a game of angles. Um, and again, being the, the lesser athletic guy in the, in the fight, it's very important that you're conscious about your angles and give yourself as much uh, time to get there as possible. Sure. And when you're facing a defense like that, that has a lot of explosive guys who are getting after every single play, maybe a little over aggressive when they're coming after the quarterback and you guys are passing, how do you use that to your advantage when they're maybe over pursuing it or they're really aggressive? How do you use that to your advantage? Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I, I see them, I mean, nowadays, but definitely back then as more of a, we're going to do what we do regardless of you. Um, not to say that it's an arrogant defense, but they're big and physical and strong and, and very athletic. So I think that we pretty much knew what kind of rush we were going to get as an offensive lineman, you typically want to end up in pass pro, making them have to go down the middle of you or through you. Um, whenever they get an edge one way or the other, that's typically their best shot of getting to the quarterback. So if you can set to your angle, I always talk to, and I coach high school football now as well, um, I always tell my guys to kind of think of it as a box out and a rebound in pass protection. So obviously your back's to the quarterback. Uh, so pretend he's the goal um, and, and you've got to stay in between your guy in the goal. Um, that's very elementary, but ultimately the pocket is at you. And you got to realize that, you know, if you're setting deep and somebody's getting to seven or eight yards, the counter moves coming. Uh, they're either going to work back inside, they're going to try to dip the edge or bull rush you. So I think it's just, just again, through repetitions, you kind of get a feel for how guys do things. But, um, you know, as far as aggressive stuff, that's when you start seeing, you know, teams, if someone is upfield very aggressively in the pass rush, You'll see them get hit with a screen. <clears throat> Sometimes that'll slow them down or a draw play. I think we ran a couple of draw plays in that game as well uh, to make them kind of 
think twice about trying to rush the edge really aggressively. Yeah, and it certainly certainly makes a difference. Now you had a tougher tougher assignment that game in that at the last second you got kind of thrown or not the last second, but because of needing you at certain positions, you had to move from guard where you primarily played most of your time at Oklahoma to right tackle. What went to that decision? How was that transition for you? <clears throat> yeah, so those last three games in that season, we the last two games of the regular season, we played Kansas State and we played uh, Oklahoma State. And one of our starting tackles in the Kansas State game broke his foot. Uh, so we had to shuffle some guys around there. We had a guy that had a back issue uh, that flared up after the Oklahoma State game, so he couldn't play. Um, the guy that stepped in for the Oklahoma State game struggled a little bit. So uh, Bill came to me and asked if I could do it, if I was comfortable doing it. And, of course, I, I was excited about it. I hadn't got a chance to play out there since high school. And, uh, you know, playing against them, like I said before, they're a little bit more uh, – I consider them a little bit more big and physical than – overly athletic up front. Uh, they try to kind of bully in the front seven. So, uh, you know, I felt good about pass setting those guys. You know, they, you know, some of those DNs that you'd see that are pass rush specialists are, you know, six foot four, six foot three, you know, two, 230, 240. They got DNs that are 300 pounds. You know, it's a little bit different, more of an NFL style um, pass rush. So I was excited about the opportunity. I remember um, <clears throat> in, uh, media day when we were in New Orleans um, the media came out for their day of practice or whatever we uh, we lined up all over the place we had guys all in different positions just to try to not give away who was playing where and um, sneaky you know, again it ended up working well we had a guy step up at guard and uh, made his first career start and played really well uh, so I was I was really pleased with how it all turned out so for those of us who have not played in a college football game or played offensive line at the college football level what is what is it like switching from guard to tackle? Like, what what are the biggest differences? How do you have to change your stance? How you play? Just take us through that. You, you know, I don't want to oversell it because at the end of the day, the responsibilities are the same in a sense. Um, if I'm in the interior three, if I'm a center or guard, I've got somebody on both sides of me. So that's the biggest difference, right? I've always got a <clears throat> even if they're not working with me, I, I know that there there's only a confined amount of space that I have to cover. Whereas if you're on the edge, you know, that goes all the way to the sideline um, in theory. But um, the, the angle of your pass set changes a little bit. Uh, you typically are a little deeper versus inside. You want to be a little more firm. Um, run blocking on the edge is a little trickier, again, just because those guys are typically a little more athletic and you have more space to work with. Um, typically, your tackle is going to have a little more stagger in a stance uh, than your guard. And obviously, your center is square footed most of the time. Um, so I, th I think it's, it's small things, but I think it's, it's different when you've gotten a rep of, you know, the, in the habit of playing that same position for the last four seasons, basically. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the opportunity and was confident that I could do it. And, you know, the team needed somebody to do it. So I, I stepped up and, and, uh, you know, that's one of the, the most memorable, memorable games of, uh, of my career for sure. Yeah, I can believe it. It seems like a one you don't want to forget. So for yeah. you, even though you, you, you're willing to play multiple positions, did you have a favorite, whether it be left guard, right guard, right tackle, left tackle, center? Did you, did you have a favorite position? You know, I just wanted to be on the field. <laughs> that, was, that was my thing. So if I, if I had to snap the football or whatever, I would do it. Um, for me and I think for most guys, it's just, you know, when you get that opportunity where, wherever it is to, to step on the field that you take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, at that level of football and – it's so 
important that everybody knows what everybody's doing. So I think that most guys in a college scheme could, could tell you what all five guys are doing, if not all 11. Um, so from a knowledge perspective, it's not like you have to relearn everything. You just have to realize that, you know, my job's a little different cause I'm at a different position, but I, I understand the concepts cause I've been doing it for four years and I've, I've got everything memorized from, you know, what the back's doing, where the back's at, where the receivers are. Uh, so I think it, from a knowledge perspective, it's really not that much more. Um, it's just kind of a mentality of the small things we talked about before tweaking those little things to, to fit where you're at. So the little things become even bigger when you head to the next level and you got to spend a little <clears> bit of time with the Texans and the Seahawks. What did you take away from that experience or maybe what surprised you most about the NFL level, just seeing that competition? You know, I think what surprised me was it, it's not, like I said earlier, the jump from college to the NFL is not as drastic as it was from high school to college. So um, the difference is, you know, sometimes you, if you're 22, the guy beside you might be 32. Uh, so there's definitely a big difference as far as, you know, the guys and, and their story and their experience. But for me, uh, you know, I was probably a little bit surprised at some of the some of the guys that had been around for six or seven or eight years, you know, they just, they found a rhythm and, and they did their job well, but uh, you know, the, not necessarily the, you know, every position is just the best guy you've ever seen. Uh, you know, obviously they only have so much money they can spend on certain players and, you know, that money doesn't normally go to centers and guards, but uh, <clears throat> you know, it's definitely, definitely even a step above, you know, big time college football, it's a business, right? Every day you, you show up and, you know, you hope you're there the next day. And then one day you're not, um, I, I wasn't in there as long as I would have hoped to be, but, uh, definitely enjoyed it and met a lot of good people and, you know, played for some really good coaches as well. When you happen to be there during a time too, both in Seattle and Houston, that was around the time Seattle was, uh, either had just won a Super Bowl or won one the next year. Yeah, just won it the year before. Yeah. Okay. So some very elite competition on that defense. And then also in Houston, too, obviously they had good defenses there with guys like J.J. Watt. What was it like facing some of those teams, since really those are historically some of the best defenses we've seen in the NFL in recent memory? Sure. Yeah, that's, you know, the, the Seattle uh, secondary is arguably, at that time, arguably the best ever with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and, Richard Sherman and all those guys. Uh, thankfully, those guys are not typically getting down in the box a whole lot. Uh, but J.J. Watt, you know, one of the best defensive linemen out there today. You know, I remember staying after practice with him and working double teams. You know, just a guy that um, when everybody else is going in, he's getting extra work in. Um, so definitely got to learn from those guys some and play against those guys and see why they are some of the best in the game, if not of all time. Um, and uh, – definitely was a was a good experience to to see those guys in action and how they handle things not only uh, on the game field but on a day-to-day basis how they take care of themselves so those times after practice with jj watt is that something where he just said to you guys hey can we practice this or how did that yeah basically he grabbed some of us younger guys and said he wanted to work it and it was just like four of us and him and we just rotated and did double teams on him for 10 minutes and and he would just fight our double team and and that was it you know just extra work which you know the opportunity to do that with him is is crazy even to think about it now but you know he's a guy that's at the top of his game and he's still putting in the extra work to to maintain it and get better every day so you're saying after a long practice 
yeah. to go and do more blogging against JJ Watt. Yeah, which we weren't, you know, it's it's like, man, I'm I'm wore out. You know, the training camp will wear you out. But uh, sure. it was also, you know, going from Seattle where, you know, 87 degrees is hot and then the heat index in Houston's 140, you know. it's uh, Oh, my goodness. don't really feel like doing a lot after practice. But uh, every day he's doing extra stuff. You know, he'd go over and get on the jugs machine and catch footballs. I mean, just just doing whatever he could do to – to get better and, and, uh, you know, progress his game. And then, you know, it was either that year or the year after that, he started playing some tight end for him and the goal line stuff. And yeah, he's caught multiple touchdown passes at this point. So just a freak athlete and, uh, you know, the work ethic to go with it. When you bring up double teams too, what is the key to a successful double team in terms of blocking guy, whether it be in practice or even obviously in a game situation, which you're working toward, but what is the key to that success? This is a hot topic for me right now because my high school guys aren't very good at it. Um, we <laughs> in our first game. Um, the biggest thing in a double team, two things. One is that your hips are as close together as possible. So there's as little space for them to split you as possible. And the second thing is that you're both working on the same plane. So if you're the left guard and the left tackle and you're working the double team to the backside linebacker, what tends to happen is that when you make a mistake is that the guard is stepping out to the block and the tackle is stepping down and they're pushing against each other. Whereas what you need is for the guard to take the same angle as the tackle. So they're both pushing their weight on the same plane towards that backside linebacker. Uh, so those are the two biggest things that I'm struggling with right now, getting my guys to do, but it's just hard. Right. And that's what I always tell our guys is, you know, everything that offensive linemen do for the most part is against human nature uh, so we have to kind of retrain how we do things as far as, you know, humans aren't designed to keep my feet wide. Humans aren't designed to, um, you know, fight with other humans going backwards like we do in pass protection. Uh, humans aren't designed to, um, you know, squeeze their elbows tight when they're, you know, punching somebody in pass protection. So little things like that, that just take reps. And uh, there's something, you know, little things like that that you pick up along the way that, you know, you train yourself to do them and everyone's a little different. Um, if you watch the top 10 tackles in the NFL pass set, they're all a little different, but it works for them. And the core fundamentals are there. Um, but as far as double teams, I'd say those are the two things that are, are driving me crazy right now with the young guys. But um, anytime you have a chance to get, you know, two big guys on one big guy, you try to get that advantage and, and get as much movement as you can. So before I let you go, I always like to ask the question, there's a thing called lineman hands, and it's a phenomenon that exists for some people, some people it doesn't. So I'm curious, A, do you have lineman hands? And if you don't, convince me how you don't. Lineman hands as far as the perception that you can't catch a football? Yes. Oh, these are, these are not lineman hands. Aside from all <laughs> the scars and broken fingers and hands and things, um, I think we we get a bad rap when it comes to athleticism. Um, you know, obviously being bigger does make certain things harder. Uh, but I remember we had a guy that actually currently plays for the Arizona Cardinals. He was a defensive lineman, but he was six foot four, six foot five, probably three thirty when he got to OU. He was two. I think he was two years younger than me from uh, somewhere in Kansas. His name is Jordan Phillips. And uh, I remember his first day in fall camp, <clears throat> we used to mess with people and like they would do like a little dance thing before, like in the warm up, and that everyone would be in a circle. And he goes out there and he just does a backflip. 
full pads, cleats, helmet, <clears throat> just does a standing backflip, 330 wow. pounds. And I'm like, this is one of the most athletic guys I've ever seen. And just looking at him, he just looks like a big dude. But that's, you know, one of the more crazy things that I was, and that was just in a, you know, fun interaction thing that was just goofing around. But, you know, I think the the things that offensive linemen, especially at the highest level, are able to do, I don't think people can really understand it because it's hard to relate to to being that big when, you know, most people just, they, they can't, they can't imagine it, you know? So I, I definitely, do we have the best hands? Probably not, you know, uh, at least we have mostly have big hands, I guess. Maybe that helps catch the football, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm here for the athletic linemen. I think it's, we need, we get a bad rap for sure. Yeah, well, I know some linemen can catch, some can't, but I, I know there's that kind of a <laughs> reputation to out well, there that linemen hands exist. And the beauty is I played football since I was six, probably until I was 23, and I never caught one football, and I never had to catch one. So um, as long as you can snap it, you're good. So I, I never had to worry about that. But uh, um, I would say that if you flip the script and asked if a receiver had uh, linemen blocking abilities or could they punch and pass pro, I think that – the gap there might be bigger than it is for a lineman catching a slant route. So um, nobody ever talks about that side of it, though. Well, Bronson Irwin, I really appreciate your time today and your insight. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Bronson Irwin for joining me, and thank you for listening to this episode of Ineligible Receivers. If you haven't already, make sure to go back and check out the first two episodes, one with former Steelers lineman Mike Adams and the other with former Missouri guard Kevin Pendleton. Both had some great insights into offensive line play and had some crazy stories as well. Now for future shows, make sure to follow us on Twitter at OldLinePod and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so that you never miss another show. That's all for this episode of Ineligible Receivers. I'm Nick Kelly, and I'll talk to you next week.